When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the West Ham Breakdown, which is, you know, increasingly becoming the the West Ham Breakdown week on week at West Ham at the moment. Um, We're coming to you after another West Ham loss, another game without a win and another really terrible performance, really, and all against against Nottingham Forest. Um, I'm joined by Cal, as always. How are you? Uh... Tired, fed up, all of the above. <laughs> and that's not even West Ham related. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Um, yeah, echo what you said, though. Just another bloody disappointing game, wasn't it? Um, just frustrations that we're having every week with the same people and the same issues. Yeah, I mean, this is a, a, a classically free-form West Ham breakdown intro that occurs after a disappointing couple of weeks. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I will remember to to plug the website, uh, head over to analysisunited.co.uk forward slash members if you want to support the pod. We've had some incredible support over there for the last um, few weeks and um, any anything you can contribute will help us keep the pod going beyond this season. And um, in this episode, I think we're going to speak just entirely about the Forest game. Uh, we've got a segment that Cal did a, a little while ago on centre-backs, which is going to be relevant and I'm hoping to tack on to the end of this pod. If, Cal, we can keep it tight to about 40 minutes. If we go <laughs> over that, your centre-back section is getting held back for another <laughs> week. So <laughs> we've got to be speedy. So keep me on track because I've got a few things to talk about. Um, look, David Moyes said after this game that it was a tight Premier League match. And in some ways, I think he's not wrong because Forrest scored their two goals in added time at the end of, of each half. In other ways, I think he's completely wrong because Forrest created loads of chances and West Ham didn't create really any chances for virtually the whole match. Um, and I think the big things that we want to break into in this pod are obviously everyone knows there's this Lucas Bakatar shaped massive hole in, in, in the, in the team. And that is a big part of why chance creation is failing, but we want to break beyond that and just start to discuss if we can, a few of the other issues surrounding that, that are compounding our, our lack of chance creation. Um, we want to look back at the the previous game against Forest and see some, some of the differences between the two fixtures and, and what happened differently. You know, Forest scored twice in both games. There were lots of chances for Forest in both games, both games. What? Well, one game could have only gone one way, but the other game definitely could have gone either way. And the difference really was that we scored three in the in the first fixture and and, and didn't score and didn't look like scoring in, in, in the second game. Um, I think the first kind of jumping off point for us to discuss that is something that we spoke about as a positive earlier in the season, Carl, which is us using Edson Alvarez as kind of a, um, a centre-back bisecting player, if you like. He becomes part of the back three in, in build-up. And we move from what might be a 4-4-2 or a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-1-4-1 or a 4-4-1-1 defensively into something that feels a lot more like a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1 um, going forwards. Uh, I think there are a couple of reasons why we need to do that. I would look at Kurt Zuma as being kind of a big part of it because it would be nice to be able to circulate neatly between the back four and do it at, at speed. But, but Zuma's probably one of the slower points in that in that circulation between right back cent- the center backs and the left back uh, and by putting alvarez in you just add that extra point which allows you to kind of stagger the speed at which the, the opposition press would move across if you like across the pitch um it makes it a little bit easier for the center backs it also creates space as we spoke about a lot earlier in the season for someone like a to step up the pitch um and to be more impactful from a from a progressive point of view but I think one of the really big things that happens here and happened earlier in the season is it was a massive enabler for Lucas Bakatar. And we'd struggled um, last season to find ways to incorporate Bakatar that wasn't at 
huge cost to the to the sort of way that we defended and the way that we were able to defend transitions. Um, he's a he's a really really good player, but one of the weaknesses we definitely could see in his game from the first season with us was how he managed zonal responsibilities when playing in central areas in a David Moyes team that's not going to have the ball all the time, right? Um, I think back to the the loss against Newcastle at home last season. I can't remember how many it was. Was it what, four or five? You know, five, really I think. Heavy, heavy defeat at home. And that being a game where Pakatar just really struggled with the kind of space that he was meant to be covering and dominating that zone. Um, and, you know, 10 didn't really work out for him as, as, as best as it possibly could because he was re- receiving often in quite restricted spaces. Um, so I felt that the move to, 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 to sort of see him as more of a left winger and a classic David Moyes full swinger in the same way that we might have used Pablo Fornells previously was quite a nice way to get him out of the most restricted areas, get him on the ball perhaps under a little bit less pressure um, and give him a more free role in possession where he could help us dictate, help create chances, do all the things that he's really good at. Well, you know, it's not just creating chances, it's connecting the, the back line really to the front line. It's possibly one of the more important things that he brings to the team when he's fit. And by moving to a three defensively with Alvarez coming in, um, he loses the ball. You know, that's one thing he does. And when he does that, it's not the two centre-backs that are totally exposed. There's still that three that you've got to get past and that can funnel the ball wide and just give those extra seconds for your fullbacks to get back in. You have your back five then and it becomes a little bit difficult to create chances in the box. You see probably more chances in the early part of the season that start with Lucas Pacatar giving the ball away, ending with shots from the edge of the box because teams are having to pull back to the edge of the box to then get shots off. Um, we used the same system in possession without him in this game at, at Forest, where it had enabled Pakatar really well to receive in those positions previously. I think the biggest thing that it ends up doing in this game is it ends up really disabling Jared Bowen and Mohamed Kudus. And it's something that we've spoken about uh, a couple of times on the pod since um, sales for Fornells and Ben Rama were sanctioned and how you'd end up with a, front line that had lots of dynamic physical strong on the break presence but didn't really have kind of a connective piece as part of it to help you know bring that attack to life um and the system when you are using those players to kind of pin the opposition defense in which is a big part of the role you know operating in the half spaces making sure that the fullbacks can't step out making sure that your fullbacks can get up become that sort of four in the middle if you like and they can support the front line you know make up a a five in the end on the on the front line sort of a three two five shape if you want to them to have any kind of space you end up using players like Bowen and Kudus in the kind of positions where you'd rather have someone like Pablo Fornells and Saeed Benrahma where a lot of their role is sitting in a place on the pitch to stop other players from being able to be in other places on the pitch or to help other players be in other places on the pitch rather than them receiving and driving at people. And we saw that a lot in the game, right? They received a lot less. They were much less involved than they were in the first fixture against Forest. And um, and when they did receive, they end up receiving in often really negative positions, uh, difficult positions, dropping off deep in, in wide spaces, maybe on a rotation with um, one of those wing backs in possession uh emerson or Sufal taking up the half space position they rotate come out and receive deep in a, in a in a wide zone which is difficult for them to then turn and get anything going or what we also saw in the game and we'll talk more about it later on when we come to talk about individual performances were situations where they did receive the half space particularly jared bowen and then just dribbled back out of the half space because they're not used to operating in the same way a Fornals or Ben Rama or Pakatar might in those areas where you spin really quickly quickly and find a pass into the striker or something else. And um, that was one of our biggest problems in this game, right? Yeah, 100%. And I think another another issue, um, particularly with Kudis, I would say, is that when we've seen him out on the right-hand side, because I think some people will be listening and go, oh, well, but you've told us that Kudis is great in the half spaces and he thrives in the half spaces. But I think one of the keys to unlocking Kudis is on the right half space, he's comfortable turning inside and driving towards goal with the ball on his stronger left foot. And he's, he's good at charging into that space. And I think it's natural for him to receive with the back to goal and spin out uh, inwards. But if that's his natural movement, then when he's receiving in the left half space and he's trying to roll, he's, he's 
running away from goal. So it's not instinctive for him. And then that obviously, that's not the way we want to attack. And it's kind of counterproductive in that sense, because all of a sudden you kind of got him clashing with with the Emerson overlap and they're both trying to hit the same channel and then you've you've seeded space in the half space and now you've got two people in the wide channel and no one there and it's kind of just the whole attack becomes a little bit um defunct really and I think that's yeah it's a, it's an unfortunate position we found ourselves in again with the with the squad in that we're kind of having to put square pegs in round holes because who else can play there apart from Kudus um but it's, it wouldn't be his preferred position. And it's not really any surprise to me that we're not having, or he's not having as much of an impact played out on that side as compared to on the right side. Because as well, you think of Kudus getting into those areas and either threading a reverse pass uh, in the right half space, I'm saying, into the reverse pass into an overlapping Sufau or firing a shot off on his left foot. But again, if he's in the left half space with the ball on his left foot and he wants to use his stronger foot, the shooting angles are entirely different. He can't bend it into the far corner and the reverse pass is not really on because the reverse pass is into the inside channel. But then there's no one in the inside channel because he is that guy. So it just makes it really difficult. Um, and I think it's it's frustrating to watch him because obviously we we got a glimpse of what, he can be when he's playing in his preferred position and everything around him is sort of facilitating him to be his best. Um, and it's just unfortunate. It's, I don't, it, don't think it's his fault. It's just the fault of the system that he's been put into and has to be put into by circumstance at the moment. Um, but it is frustrating as a fan because you're kind of watching him going, oh, I know that you can do so much more than this, but not in this environment. Yeah, and I, we, we saw it in the end, didn't we, that Antonio moved out to the left and could have came to the right side with Bowen going through the middle just to get him more involved in the game. Because if yeah. there was one person in that front three who was probably anywhere near their best, it was him in this one. <laughs> yeah. he, he he looked much more of a threat than the other two. And then simultaneously, uh, just to further to your point about him being on the left and the, the angles he sent in and the positions he ends up moving into, we saw quite a few times where he got quite wide and ended up crossing the ball into the box. And um, and we come to just a ridiculous problem for a team coached by David Moyes to have limited box presence. What's going on there? <laughs> uh, I, I said to you before we started recording that Andy Carroll needs to come up in this pod because he would have thrived <laughs> in this one. Uh, where was he? We just didn't have the the the. Well, or to- we're going to talk about the other one that, that would usually be in there as well, Thomas Suchek. You know, we didn't have the big lanky fella in the box to get on the end of those things. No, 100%. And I think there was probably a lot of hope pinned on the return of Antonio in that respect of being the sort of physical presence in the box. But for him to come away from a game with just the one touch in the penalty area, I think kind of speaks to the downfall of, of the system. If like if you've not got a Suchek there to get on the end of these these crosses or cutbacks as he does so well, and Antonio's not going to turn up, and also Bowen's on the complete other side of the box. So you're going to really have to overhit that cross um, because I don't I don't think the ball was ever really getting near to, to Bowen from those positions. Um, yeah, it, it was kind of always <laughs> going to fail, really. If we're going to be so dependent on wide creation, you, you need to have someone to finish that off. And again, it's kind of a, a, a fault of the system and the squad planning that we found ourselves in and that we kind of have to play the system because of the way that the squad is at the minute with injuries and stuff like that. But there's always there always seems to be a piece missing, which means that no matter which way you roll the dice or no no matter what combination of pieces you put together, it's never the complete package, which means there's always going to be a shortcoming somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I think when we talk about wide creation, it's worth saying that that's something that David Moyes' teams do well and something that West Ham mm-hmm. do actually do generally quite well at, creating chances from the wide spaces. Um, and I think... The, the the big sort of strange thing here, and we get, it's going to be the central theme of what we talk about for most of the rest of this pod, is is this move from kind of meat and potatoes football, right, <laughs> um, to to something more ambitious, to something better. Uh, it, it's not really doing much for us, is it? it I think. In in a way, these two games are a really nice comparison because what did we say the possession was in the, in the first one? We had what fifty four percent possession. Fifty four. Yeah. In in the first game against Forest, a three two win, um, and that's with Thomas Suchek starting. Um, and in the second game, we're down to fifty two percent possession, which is not a huge difference, but it is less. And um, and Calvin Phillips is coming in there, and Thomas Suchek is being dropped. And we're talking about you know limited box presence, actually pretty bad box dominance 
at both ends of the pitch, not just yep. in the final third, which is what we've spoken about so far, but we're going to come on to talk about the way that we defended um, and, and how much we struggled physically in that area of the pitch as well. Um, if you're not getting more control, more possession, um, more stranglehold of the game, if you like, by bringing someone like Calvin Phillips in, by having this system that is designed to get out of build-up really safely, you know, like to make sure you don't give up anything in build-up, you're able to get the ball wide, get beyond Forrest's defensive first two lines, if you like, get to the final third, and then create things through your combinations in wide areas, whether that be... Emerson, Cudison, Ward-Prowse combining on the left-hand side or Soufal, Bowen and um, and Phillips combining on the right-hand side. The idea being you're going to be able to shake something out in those areas and then get balls into the box where, well, I guess just Mikel Antonio is going to do something <laughs> um, for you. If you're trying to do that, which effectively would be largely about stopping Forrest from being able to string long periods of pressure together or being able to really get into the game very much, limiting them to being very much a counter-attacking team. Um, And you don't get more possession. You don't get more control. And you lose your physical dominance at both ends of the pitch. I suppose the question is, what was the point? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think it's been one of our biggest frustrations, um, especially recently, but but throughout the entire Moyes tenure when we have veered away from what Moyes is good at or has has been good at previously it's kind of uh, at the if, if an alien had landed on earth at the minute i'm not sure they would they would necessarily know that that's what Moyes was good at because his team seemed to have forgotten how to defend that way um but yeah i think it's it's kind of like if you are going to give up or not give up but if you are going to sort of push to one side those facets of the game then it has to it has to work it simply has to work because otherwise you're going to be you're you're getting rid of what you're good at for something that you're hoping that you can be better at. But if you're shit at that, and then even worse at the thing you were good at before, the net the net total is that you're just shit. <laughs> like that's it. It's like you got one good thing and we're bad at this, but at least it's one good thing. And now it's like, well, we're just bad at both, so we've got worse. Um, and yeah, it, it, I guess it's kind of a paradoxical situation somewhat for Moyes because I think there is obviously a need in certain games to be more progressive and to assert more control of the game and I think the the notion of at least trying it is is understandable because I think like we've said previously like there are games where as West Ham against certain teams and I would include Forest in that we, we should be going to look to take control and, and really sort of be the dominant force but unfortunately, it just doesn't seem to ever work. So it's kind of that, it's the difficult choice for any manager, I guess, isn't it? It's like, do I do what seems right or do I do what may, might be wrong, but I'm better at? It's, yeah, it's an impossible task. Well, I suppose, yeah, but the don't back down, double down is where I'm coming yeah. from. If Pakatar yeah, yeah. isn't there, keep Zuchek in the team, drill into the set pieces and be a menace. Like, just be mm-hmm. physically annoying. Because... As much as that might lead to a game where you don't have the kind of control that you'd want against a team like Forest, as much as that might lead to a game that is not particularly inspiring to watch for the fans of this football club, you might get a result. You might yeah. just get points off the back of it. Doing what we did, where we attempt to take more control, don't really have the players to take advantage of that when arriving in the final third. And it is worth saying, you know, our circul- we might have had less possession and all this stuff. Our circulation was was a lot better. Like, Phillips, yeah. for all that he does wrong, <laughs> and the red card is just stupid, I think it was a little bit of weak refereeing for me because I didn't think that they both needed to be booked over the sort of pushing and stopping a free kick thing. I think that yeah. was kind of just like, oh, call that quits, stop it, cut it out kind of thing. Once you book them both, I definitely, if I was refereeing in a situation like that, would be kind of like next foul, I'm just going to give them a talking to rather than jump in with a second yellow and then I've sent someone off and ruined the game for what? Um, For not very much, really. You want players being sent off for actually, you know, bad tackles, not for a couple of nonsenses in a few minutes. Still, I'm not sure what Calvin Phillips is doing trying to make a tackle like that when he's just been booked. I mean, that's just beyond silly. Um, But for all of that, he did come into the team and he probably did help us move the ball around a little bit better. And I think a lot of the way that we did progress through 
phase one to phase two, if you like, getting the ball off the off the centre backs, moving it up the pitch, and arriving towards the final third was probably a bit better than 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 in previous games. Um, it's just we don't really have the people at the top end of the pitch to do anything with that because we're arriving in a more controlled fashion with three forwards that want to arrive in a less controlled fashion. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like with those yeah. forwards in the team, you want to be arriving in space in space at speed from deeper positions. Yet we're arriving with the whole forest team nicely set up in their <laughs> in their defensive shape. Uh, into really compact spaces that people like Bowen and Kudus might, yeah, be able to shake something out, might be able to get a shot off from distance, do have the ability to do that. But it's not really their game. You know, the thing that they did so well for us in the first half of the season was the dynamic being on the break kind of thing. Should we just should we move on from from talking about the system and just just bring in some some individual performances? Because I think that that control that possibly could have come in, in this game. And whilst I, you know, I think I've set my stall up, I think I would prefer us to be good at being rubbish, if you like, um, yeah. and just, just focus on Ward Prowse to Suchek's head goal. I, I'm fine with that. <laughs> um, I think a big part of why we didn't end up getting the kind of control we possibly could have had in this, in this game particularly was... was Kurt Zuma versus Taiwo Wanyi, which <laughs> I knew it was coming. Cal, help me out here, man. It it was a disaster, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and it's doubly painful because I think prior to the game I'd said how I would just roll the dice with Manfro now because I'd I'd just kind of fed up of watching Zuma not be good at the thing he's meant to be good at for weeks. And then the other side is that we both been a big fan of a one year for a long time and this sort of age-old chase of the Antonio 2.0 whether you think that's the right way to go or not while Moyes was around and when we were looking it was trying to find someone that could be that focal point for us and when I saw the lineups and I saw Zuma was in there I was like oh man here we go again and then I saw a one year I was like oh fuck me this is going to be a bloodbath <laughs> this is going to be painful um and yeah like it, it was incredibly disheartening to watch because it's such a shame seeing Zuma fall off so dramatically. Um, and also I guess painful watching a one you be so good because we, because <laughs> everyone knew. Um, but yeah, like it, it wasn't necessarily surprising um, because I think the Zuma's form, as we have said for weeks now has, has just been dropping dramatically off a cliff. And I, I just think like, I don't know. It was the, I know that Mavropanos isn't on paper, the, necessarily the best fit but like if zoom like what's 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 the harm in trying if zoom, like zoom is not doing any better so like what mavro comes in and does just as bad as zuma then we're in this exact same place and maybe it helps even more with the control because you've got mavro who can zing the ball about with a bit more speed than zuma does because it doesn't necessarily have to take as many touches or doesn't take him three business days to, to to work out what he wants to do or to move his body like the Suez Canal delivery boat or whatever it was that was stuck <laughs> in that position um but yeah I, yeah it was just frustrating but yeah um I, I do I, I guess I think the solution is Mavropanos but I say that with so little confidence because I just <laughs> I just don't know well let's let's talk about both of them you know obviously Zuma is a big part of this and when I'm talking about lack of control a I'm thinking of those free kicks. I'm thinking yeah. of the number of free kicks that came from Forrest punt the ball out of the box. What you want to be doing in those situations is winning the duel and then keeping your pressure going in the final third. Yep. Like, I know that we're not really well set up to take advantage. As we've just discussed, we probably don't have the creative players. I still can't get my head around side Ben Rahman Pablo Fornell's not being here and we're going to keep talking about it virtually every week because <laughs> what are you doing you know ending up in these games where you're having to play this way and you just don't have the connector don't have the, the creative presence in there but you, the likelihood of you eventually squeezing that big chance out is massively increased when you just keep it ramping up you keep the pressure going for more than two or three minutes for more than like a maximum of five minutes and the way you do that, like we say, is 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 by winning those duels when the when the opposition clear the ball. If you're losing them all the time, particularly mm-hmm. if you're giving away free kicks all the yeah. time, 
when that happens. You're just letting the opposition reset. They take a nice, you know, minute and a half to get up the pitch. So ages overtaking the free kick. And then you have to spend another, because you're West Ham, have to spend another five, six, seven minutes <laughs> getting back into the position where you were, pushing in the final third, creating a little bit of pressure. And then, bam, Zuma gives away another free kick and you're back at square one all over again. And this happened throughout the first half. Um, and, to, and to bring it on to the other one, because I said I would, when it then comes to defending your box, dealing with breaks, being able to physically control the striker, Naya Fagard, I like progressively, he's quite important in this game. He plays the most passes. He's doing the most from sort of a progressive point of view. I can see all the reasons he's in there, but you're a defender. Can you do some <laughs> defending, please? Oh gosh. Yeah. It's so true. I think it's, yeah, it's that balance, isn't it? Like, Again, comes back to that. Oh, we're trying to control the game. So, Gerd's really important with his progressive play. Uh, not sure about the three hundred or something yards of progressive carries that he got across two two very long, slightly weird, and potentially ill-advised <laughs> runs down the pitch, um, which was just crazy. But I, I suppose that smacks of a player that's kind of frustrated as well, right? He's like, "I oh, mate, bun this. Like, I'm taking it into my own hands," um, which. Eh, kind of I can kind of get at that point in the game but also just like come on keep your head and like there's there's better options um but yeah to be like, fair, the, just to jump in on that I thought he he ended up moving to left back when we were down to to 10 men yeah and, yeah yeah so he did do a little bit more carrying I thought two of his runs were really useful I did really love the fact that at the end of one of them where he'd managed to make loads of ground he decided <laughs> to shoot yeah that's what passing, I mean that's which what I was mean. like what the hell are you doing uh yeah. but yeah go on let's talk about him defending yeah, it just just sucks, doesn't it? it? Just sucks. Like he he's meant like his recovery pace I get. We don't get to see any of it, which is fine. Like that's that's unfortunate and maybe we got excited about something that <laughs> we brought into the team that we're, <laughs> we're never going to see. Um but we also were pretty yeah, like he I think the perfect example is how he gets rolled. I don't think is it when they score from it? A one he just rolls him far too easily, basically at, at one moment, and he's he's so touch tight. And like, if okay, if you're going to be touch tight, win, win the duel. Like, don't foul him, don't bring him down for a penalty. But you, you're a big guy. Like, you're what six three? You've got a big frame. Like, if you're going to make the commitment to be touch tight and to put that pressure on and make him uncomfortable in the box, you have to make him uncomfortable in the box. You can't just go up like you're just trying to catch a wine off him in the in the box, like just like hugging him from behind, and then he just gradually rolls off you and then just tucks it. We're like, what the hell, man? Like, if you're going to do it, I want to see you really forcing him out. Like, put the reason you're doing that right is to like make him miscontrol his touch or or to push him up out back towards the edge of the box, as we've seen us do so well. Like it, at our best, I think of us as doing that sort of controlling the line, forcing him out, and then teams are forced into taking long shots. Forrest ended up taking a lot of long shots to be fair, but like no, you can't be getting touch tight and then getting rinsed. Like if you're gonna do that, you might as well just not bother with getting touch tight and like let him take the first touch and then lunge in and try and poke it away that way. It's like one of two ways of approaching that situation and whichever way you're going to do it, you need to get it right in those situations. And time and time again at the minute, we're seeing a good make the wrong decision and the wrong execution. Yeah. I think, you know, there was another example early in the first half, which I loved where the ball dropping in the, in, in sort of almost in the six yard box might've been in the six yard box. And, um, he goes for a duel with a one year and a one, you just literally ragdolls him off of him and ends yeah. up like trying to backwards header towards goal. Yeah. And he didn't get any face on it. And Ariola was able to catch it, but it's just one of those moments where it's like, you're a center back. How mm. is this happening? How are you just getting shoved about in the box all the time? You know, I, I've been doing recently, and it's gonna you'll 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 catch it on the timeline if you follow me on Twitter after the um, Brentford game, or even even before you can look at it if you want. It's um it's up at, at WHU thread uh, on Twitter. I've been going through every every game, and the amount of times this has happened this season. Even thinking back to like the Newcastle game where we drew two all, and Isak just pushes him, and he bounces about five yards off, and Isak's able to tap it in. Like the, it's just not good enough to be that physically weak in your own box and it isn't it certainly isn't good enough to be that physically weak in your box when you're playing it for david moyes in a david moyes team um briefly at the other end you know we've spoken about burn so let's not do any more on him but antonio coming back into the team 
similarly too weak, too easily beaten in yep. in, in 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 lots of his duels with the centre backs. We both thought Maria was excellent again. Um, and also on Forest, you know, when we're speaking about the uh, blend of front lines, Hudson Odoi was great um, for Forest, and and that's the difference, really. Two teams that play quite similar styles, mm-hmm. really similar styles, I'd say actually. And um, they've got Hudson Odoi and Morgan Gibbs White supplying for Elanga and Awanyi. We've got Bowen Kudus and Antonio. <laughs> With what Calvin Phillips trying to <laughs> pass the ball, like I, oh. it, you know, it's not great. Was someone that did do quite a good job and, and kept going, kept at it, kept trying to to open something up. The only really big positives at all from the game were around Ward Prowse, who, who, as much as I didn't like the midfield blend, I thought we were one short. I thought we should have just gone with Suchek over Phillips. I didn't. I, at the end of the day, it didn't seem to be any point really in Phillips being in there. Um, it did free Will Prowse up to be higher up the pitch, and we do see Will Prowse generally playing better when he is in those more advanced positions. And he 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 had a pretty good game, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think if we were going to take one positive. Um... And I, I frame that wrongly, really, because I think he actually was genuinely good. Like, it's not as if to say, oh, he was the one positive, but was still shit. Like, he was actually, a, he had a good game. Um, but yeah, again, it's just the supporting cast around him, the, the lack of link up. And I think as well, the lack of Pakatar, like we've said, just kind of, I think Ward Prowse is good in and around the box, but he's not the final he's not the final pass kind of guy. He's the, the pre-assist kind of guy. He's like, okay, I'm going to find Paquetta in the pocket and then Paquetta's going to thread the needle and then we're going to score. But for Ward-Prowse, I think he's he's in a bit of a catch-22 at the minute where he's still being the pre-assist guy, but then he's also having to take on the creative burden in the final third in the absence of other players. And I think he did actually lead the team in terms of passes into the penalty area. Um, so he was, in theory, threading that needle, but at a volume that is so far off what we would expect from someone like a Pakatar. Um, so it's unfortunate, but I think as well, like uh, we spoke earlier about how, how you able to gain control out of possession by maintaining pressure. And I think Ward Prowse is a good example of doing that from the front as well. I think his counter pressing unsurprisingly is, is often very good given that he's come from that Southampton sort of um, model and, and under Hassan Hutul, he's obviously trained well in that respect. But again, I just I just wish the system gave him more license to do that. I think for a team, and we've said it before, for a team that is trying to play on the counter and and try and be dynamic, but that are struggling to actually create the counters from deep. I think a, a very good alternative when you've got Ward Prowse in those advanced areas is to try and create counters in a more front-footed approach. It's like, okay, try and dispossess the centre-backs in build-up, um, which we just don't see enough of, but I think we are very capable of. Especially now, without Pakatar as well, I would say that it's probably yeah. a better way to go about Like, we're struggling physically in our own box. We've got a guard there who, yeah, might struggle physically in his own box, but he has got the recovery pace. If you work in Mavro. <laughs> like Wakim Mavro, like you say, who's more of a proactive defender who will want to step up at all times. I'm not suggesting it's going to be great. It probably isn't going to be great because look, in, in in many situations in the Arsenal game, for example, we tried to play higher than we had done in, in, in the previous games against them. We got rinsed with balls over the top and, and too mm-hmm. much space in behind. You know, I don't think Emerson is particularly good in those situations. For example, I think he's someone that, that struggles in, in, in those situations. Um, but, but without the creator, it you know let the way you defend be the creator, right? Like that seems to be a a decent idea for trying to score some goals, which we're just not doing at, at the moment. Um, and you can't, you know, it's blatantly obvious. And I feel sort of almost pathetic doing this on an analysis podcast, but you you can't not score goals. And be crap in defence at the same time. That that equals the kind of form that we've got at the moment. I, I think let's 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 expand the discussion a little bit and zoom out from just this one game because it's such a perfect example. We can zoom out from it and say, as we've been discussing, really, with a lot of things in this one fixture, what we've seen in terms of squad building, squad development, and how we've had to progress as a football team over the last couple of years has been all about trying to find ways to get a little bit more control of games and be better in those conditions. If you think back to when maybe things started to go a little bit wrong 
in the first iteration of Moyes, it was when teams kind of at all levels worked out that they could sit off against West Ham and that would create West, that would cause lots of problems for, for, for West Ham. And um, Manuel Lanzini came in as the number 10. We tried to find ways to create from, you know, different, a totally different environment, basically a different kind of game where we'd have to be coming up against more set up defenses, deeper defenses. Um, and Lanzini was really good at kind of connecting parts of the midfield, but wasn't really like a final third impact guy. Didn't really have a huge amount when it got to the final third, didn't score enough towards the end of his West Ham time in this time that I'm talking about. Didn't really create enough in the final third either. Um, and since then, what we've seen really is a lot of recruitment that has been geared around taking pieces that were maybe a little bit functional in what I would describe as Moy's basic, Craig Dawson, Thomas Suchek, uh, Mikel Antonio, um, and so on and so forth, and replacing them or upgrading them as such, quite a lot of money spent, on players that would theoretically have the same physical presence, big guys often, um, but are maybe a little bit more technically what well, are technically superior. So Naya Fagard is, is, is one of those players. Um, Lucas Pakatar came in. It's quite a big guy, but a bit more creative, better, better on the ball. And, um, and Calvin Phillips has come in as well. I'd say again, it's quite big, um, quite good physically, should be quite good physically, but better on the ball. And you see him come in in this game that we've just been talking about for Thomas Suchek. Taking those kind of a view of all of those changes as a whole, I think we've spent a lot of money on not really, not really going anywhere. A lot of people probably would prefer for us to move in, in, in a more sort of continue maybe on the progressive art, bring in a different manager and move in that direction. And, and possibly that might be the direction West Ham end up moving in beyond the end of the season. Um, I always felt, and, and forgive me everyone, but I felt that was always an edge in the physical stuff. And I kind of wish maybe, I don't know what's gone wrong with regards to these players. Like Naya Fagard should be physically more dominant than he, than he is. And I don't know whether in our scouting process or whatever, we just took it as a given that some of these players would just be more reliable than they have been uh, physically. And I'm particularly thinking about Naya Fagard because other players, maybe uh, uh, it's less important than, than it has been with, with the guard. Um, and we've probably been a little bit unfortunate with what's happened to Zuma as well, because I'm not sure anyone anticipated his physical output being so much worse this season. I think we all thought, um, sorry, physical output is probably not the best way of putting that. We thought he'd be strong and dominant in the air, but possibly a little bit slower and, and, and a piece that you had to move around more carefully. Um, what's happened is that he's lost his pace, he's lost his mobility, but he's also losing jewels, which has come you know, at a really bad time, given that Edgar's having his struggles physically as well. Um, I personally just think that it would have been particularly good, I think, for, for Moyes to drill into the things that West Ham are good at for the club and Moyes and for recruitment and everything, to drill into the things that Moyes were good at and bring in younger, hungrier players who could do similar things. You know, I'm perfectly happy for us to be meat and potatoes. And I think when you look at the results that we had over those couple of seasons, and even at the start of this season, when we were doing a pretty good job of being that kind of team, I think the fan base is generally pretty happy with it as well when it's going well, when we're scoring goals and when we're defending well. But I, I don't, I'm not surprised that the fan base is not happy when when you lose the elements that you're good at and you don't really get much upside from trying to be a more uh, a, a more interesting team on the ball or a better team on the ball. Yeah, I think that's it, and I think that's kind of the the the, the, the like the fatal element of Moses' system, right? Is that it, everyone's happy to put up with it until they're not happy like if that makes sense like as long as you're getting the results everyone kind of just forgets it or overlooks it like you can't tell me there was anyone in that Leon game when we batted them sat there going oh, fucking hell we've not had much of the ball like like we we it's so fun it's exciting like watching us get away on a break when you know what's like the inevitable outcome is that where it felt like inevitability at the time is that, oh, we're on, we're on the break. We're going to score again. We're going to score again. These guys are so good at counterattacking football. Like it, and it, it was a buzz. And like, I think you get more of like, it's, it's hard to remember that now because we've not seen it like that for what feels like an eternity. But like, 
I know people want to watch us come in and play progressive, attractive football, but I think watching like an electric counter-attack when done properly is one of the most exciting things to watch in football anyway. Like, I think back to the fully firing Jurgen Klopp teams, like they didn't dominate possession really. They dominated possession against worse opposition, but in the big games, it was right. Got the ball in defence. First thing we're thinking of is how the hell can we get to the final third as quick as possible and create a chance. And the quicker you get there, the quicker we can create the next chance because we've used up some of the clock and we're getting the ball back and then attack, attack, attack the whole time. Um, but I think with Moyes, like I, I, I'm yeah stuck between a rock and a hard place because I think my head at the minute is that I'm gradually leaning more towards I think change is potentially just a good thing because I think it seems like the fan base is kind of lost already and it's really difficult to get that back particularly at West Ham we've seen it before the toxicity bleeds in it bleeds onto the pitch we're now hearing murmurations of the fact that players are becoming un unenthusiastic about the style of football I mean who knows if that's true or not probably bollocks but still like it's it's a slippery slope to get on and it's a really difficult one to get back off so I think change potentially is just good at the end of the season I should caveat that with but I think for the whole for like while Moyes is here I do I do agree with you it's like I think there would have been some merit definitely to just leaning into it it's like if you as we said earlier if you're going to try and do the more possession based stuff then you have to be good at it and there's no there's no evidence that Moyes has ever or will ever be good at that so like just lean in and and stick to what you're good at and we have for a long time now it's felt been stuck in this sort of purgatory between the two and it's like we're not good at either anymore, which is like shit. Okay. And it seems almost difficult now to go back as well, because is, is it that the, we've got an awkward squad that kind of half want to do it, half don't or half can and half can't probably. Yes. Also, does it look like an admittance of sort of, Oh, that kind of went wrong. And I mean, I don't know how much credence Moyes would put into that, but he does come across as quite a proud guy. So I don't, I don't know like if there's that element of it and, I don't know. I think as well, he almost seems like he's started to read. I don't know, not read the media, but do you know what I mean? Like the way he's addressing fans now and stuff like that. It's, like, oh, it's coming across as a bit bitter and vitriolic. And it's like, oh, it just seems to be getting a little bit more and uh, toxic, which is a shame. But yeah, I think for now, like I've said, my, my position is still the same. We, we get to the summer and then we assess. But I think for now, I'd be quite happy for us to just turn and lean lean into that aggressive sort of, sort of mentality again and slightly less passive and be the shithouses. And I, I think in a way, like people talk about the West Ham way. I don't know what the West Ham way is, quite frankly. Um, I'm not sure I've ever known. But I think when people, what people want to see is players, like everyone loved Craig Dawson. He was everyone, one of everyone's favourite players for the past three years. Brother could not play possession-based football. You can't, you can't be begging for one thing and then absolutely, Absolutely loving the complete opposite. So I think there is, I think it's just short termism, isn't it? If we look back six, seven months ago to that Prague and the run in there, there were some horrible performances that we just dug in, but people were so behind it because it was blood, sweat, tears, and whatever. And maybe that's the West Ham way. And at the minute, we're just not showing either either version of it, and 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 it's starting to become really tiring. Yeah, I think. I mean, it's worth me saying as well. It's 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 an interesting. It's been a really interesting season because we had that at the start of the season we kind of drifted away from it and then we really recaptured it um sort of christmas time we were really on it um at that time and then we lost pakatar and obviously that had a big impact we could have went away to to afcon a girl went to afcon the team kind of changed a lot antonio obviously wasn't available as well and then phillips has come it has been like quite a lot of change happening in in this period since and we seem to have just drifted into the kind of space we ended up in sort of mid-season last season where it was just yeah. a disaster on all fronts. And I'm not really sure how that's happened quite as quickly as it has done, number mm-hmm. one. And number two, I'm perhaps a little bit less negative than than a, a lot of the kind of feeling in the fan base right now. Um, which is kind of tunneling towards this kind of like what happens at the end of season point of view and thinking I, it, it wasn't that long ago, <laughs> you know, it was only a couple of months ago that we were really nailing this and, um, and it takes maybe some hard decisions. And I think that's, what's got to happen. Like which of the center backs are winning the jewels? 
put those centre-backs on the pitch. Yeah. Like, why is Mavropanos not on the pitch? He is the only one of the unit who has been winning his duels mm-hmm. at a higher rate than others have been this season. I get that Kurt Zoom is the captain. His form means he probably shouldn't be in the team. Um, Nia Gerd, it's really difficult because you'd kind of feel mad to drop him out and put Angelo Ogbonna in. But then Angelo Ogbonna, who's had some really stinky performances in other tournaments this season, you look at his Premier League appearances, we've conceded, what, two? In the time that, that, that he's played in those games, he's also had two clean sheets in, what, four starts? Um, mm-hmm. I know those games generally, what, they were against, what, Brighton? He played half an hour against Chelsea when we had 10 men, um, played against Arsenal as well. Probably suited to, to playing that backs-to-the-wall kind of football. That's the only thing I think we've been really good at this season. So let's lean in. Let's bring those players in. Let's sit backs against the wall and um, and focus on being a good counter-attacking team because that's what we've done well this season. And I think we've just got to make the difficult decision to get back there. And maybe my big hope is that Lucas Pacato comes back in and it's instructive. It makes it obvious that that's the thing that we're good at. He, he knits it together in a way that no one else really does and gets us back to that place. But it's hard because you've made decisions in the interim, like bringing someone like Calvin Phillips in, where now you've got four midfielders who you want on the, on the pitch at the same time, and they're not conducive to playing the same way. Yeah. So, well, the same brand of football, if you like. So it's it's difficult, um, but I'm I'm hopeful. I'm still very hopeful that with Packers are coming back into things and with a couple of tough decisions, but right decisions made in the next few weeks, that we can get back to where we were around Christmas time, around the, the, you know, the start of the season, and drill into the things we're good at. Let's get back to Ward Prowse whipping balls onto Thomas Suchek's head. That's what I <laughs> want to see at West Ham for the rest of this season. Uh, okay, cool. I think probably got about just about enough time to squeeze your centre back section in. So, yeah. Um, that uh, 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 there'll be no real nice segue into that. I'll just probably put a break in and then uh, <laughs> you'll launch into somewhere mid pod where Cal's talking about center backs, but I'm sure it'll be interesting. Um, I know I was really interested when you're talking about some of the young center backs that you're, you're keen on. Um, so yeah, enjoy that. And um, I'm going to wrap the pod up now because it makes sense for me to do that now. So thank you for listening. <laughs> and uh, thanks Cal um, for trying to put some, kind of <laughs> some positive uh positives in there i enjoyed your vaguely positive chat about james will prowse and um <laughs> and hopefully god i really hope um we can pick up a better result against brentford it's going to be tough um i think we did some things really well when we played them in the first match uh but i worry about how tony coming back into it possibly affects the way that we can play like just briefly on that, I've been writing for the for the program for the Brentford match, and um, I think the thing we did so well in that first game was we pressed really aggressively in the first half an hour and created chances by being really aggressive. We were man to man. We went four four two four two four in our press against their four two four going forwards, and um, I thought it really worked for us. My only concern is if we try to drill into that, which I think we probably should. If certainly if Pakatar's not available is that we could end up in situations similar um, to the Forest game where they're lumping it long to, to Tony in duels with Naifa Gerd or Kurt Zuma and you're, you're creating problems in that way, especially with someone like Whistle or whoever it is making runs beyond the beyond the back line. But um, yeah, it'll be an interesting game. It'll be interesting to see what Moyes does, especially with the lessons of the first match. And um Hopefully we get a good result to speak about on the next pod. Um, Yeah. Thanks everyone. See you next week. See ya. There are three players that we're going to go through, but one of the guys that you wanted to speak about off the back of that um, was someone I've I've been aware of him for a while, but I always thought he was a six rather than a central center back in a, in a three. Maybe that's that transition has happened recently, but it's Jacobio at um, Udinese in, in, in Serie A. That's your first pick for this spot. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right actually to think of him as a midfielder. He's kind of throughout his career. He, he's 24 now, which sounds funny to say throughout his career, but um, he was 
playing out in Slovenia, I, b- I believe, when he started out and he moved over to Russia. And when he moved over to Russia, he was kind of talked about as a potential replacement at, at Siska Moscow for uh, Golovin, who we know as a sort of 10-8. Um, and then I think he's he slid back into a six role uh, and, and now is uh, playing as a central centre-back for Udinese. Um, but yeah, I, I've been I've been really impressed um, with his form. I, I was actually I was very impressed with his form last season, actually, and this season he's uh, he kind of went onto my watch list, and I was like, okay, let's see if he maintains this form. Um, and yeah, he, he's continued to impress me. Um, I think when we talk about, like we say, what what we want from um, a sort of centre back to come in and replace Zuma is someone who can match the sort of defensive dominance uh, in terms of aerial box defending um, and, and Bio has this uh, he's he's in the 88th percentile in Serie A this season for aerial dual success um, as well as being above average for um, sort of on the ground duels um, and also the 77th percentile for, for shots blocked per 90 which I think is an interesting one because that's very much dependent on the stylistic approach of a team but I think um, that is also something that we have to consider. We can't just use the numbers. We have to look at how they fit. And and with Bio, there's 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 two sides to it for me. It's that on the one hand, I think the way that Udinese play, they they rank lowest in the league this season for possession in Serie A. So he's had to do a lot of defending. He's done a lot of box defending, which means that the transition from Udinese to West Ham, particularly under David Moyes, should be one that is fairly seamless because the role and the duties that we'll have to fulfil in most games, if we're going to sit off and defend the box as we do, funnel the opposition out wide, defend crosses, etc. He should be good at that because he's already been doing it. The flip side is that Largely, Udinese have been playing a back three, um, which raises question marks because, as we've seen with someone like Tilo Kera, who we've both said we think is is most suited to playing on the right side of a back three, and then when you slide that across into a back four, the, it opens up a whole world of trouble because they're not. It's a very different role. However, I think my concerns with this are are much lesser because he's playing as a central centre-back. And I think the transition from a central centre-back in a back three to, to a back four is is much easier because the role is is fairly similar. You're still sort of the 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 destroyer, the stopper in the middle and, and the two players either side of you are the more progressive centre-halves and you're sort of doing the sweeping up, the sort of last-ditch stuff, the throwing your body on the line, which is everything that Moyes wants you to do. And I think Another role of the central centre-back is covering for the lateral centre-backs either side of him. And as we said earlier, something that Zuma's not shown that he's able to do anymore at this level because of his lack of pace and sort of him getting caught out of position a lot is cover for his centre-backs or he steps out and can't cover for himself. Whereas uh, Bio in the central centre-back role has has shown uh, an ability to... A, pick his position wisely in terms of where he sets himself in in rest defence, but also to sort of step over either to the left or to the right and cover for a central centre-back if they're caught out of possession um, facing a counter-attack. He he knows the spaces to move into, um, which I think will be, again, a really really good asset for him to have in this side, given what we've seen when we go up against these counter-attacking teams ourselves and the way that they try and hit us in these gaps. I think Vio will, will, or at least to my mind, uh, has shown that he yeah, will be capable of doing this. And then we bring it all, all the way back around full circle. The fact that he has that experience of having played central midfield previously uh, before he pivoted, well, moved further back into the centre-back position um, has has proved really impressive for him despite playing in a low possession team um his passing metrics are are very good for a center back and i think this comes from his um yeah experience as a central midfielder and i think he ranks 92nd percentile for long passing accuracy so in terms of that sort of quarterback approach and the way that we like to play pinging switches out to the wingers on the on the open side i think that's something as well that Moyes could look to to harness if he was to bring him in craig dawson but Slovenian. <laughs> yeah. I'm in need of it. I want it. I was looking recently at, um, yeah. at, at box defending stats. They popped up uh, thanks to Mark Stats, um, Mark R Stats, who's fantastic on Twitter. Actually, really another really good follow. Um, and Wolves have like soared into being one of the most effective box defending teams. No surprise with Craig there. And actually, we're not that good at the moment. The, the data isn't particularly inspiring for us. It's pretty bad, actually. Number of shots we're blocking, not great. Number of crosses that we're stopping, not great. So, you know, one of the key things that I wanted you to look at when, when, when looking for centre backs um, was for boys with big craniums. And the next player we're going to talk about <laughs> has got 
a hell of a cranium on him. Um, it's Jonathan <laughs> Tarr at Bayer Leverkusen, der Slabbed. Um, yeah, I don't think he's going to be anywhere near as cheap as I hoped he was going to be uh, because Leverkusen are just ridiculous this season under Xabi Alonso. Um, but he's exactly the kind of guy, and no surprise, David Moyes has been linked to him for years. He's someone that I've kind of, yeah, I mean, I've always been aware of. Uh, he sort of burst onto the scene like when he was, I think, early 20s. Um, and since then has kind of... A- established himself as a as a maybe just short of elite just a very good center back for a long time um and i think the main thing that had kind of put me off was that i think before moyes arrived i was constantly just as a lot of people are just constantly looking for that progressive center back the progressive center back the one that can do all the fancy stuff because they're the most attractive center backs right and now I've sort of developed this appreciation for the ones that can do the dog's work at the back. And I think Tar actually can do a little bit of both. Um, he's actually the most accurate passer in the Bundesliga. Uh, well, the most accurate centre-back in terms of his passing in the Bundesliga this season. He's got the best pass completion rate of all the centre-backs. Um, but in terms of his actual sort of progressive passing, uh, he's accurate, but his volume is is not very high. Like That's not his role in the Leverkusen side. It's kind of just the simple, not that dissimilar to what Zuma actually does. We don't really give him huge progressive responsibility, but he's he's fairly secure in possession in terms of just playing it into the feet of Suchek or into the feet of Sufal, who then kind of carries it up and takes that burden off him. So I think that would be good. Similar to Bio, actually, he, he again ranks in the 92nd percentile for long passing. So I think, again, that quarterback-like role. But I think the most attractive thing in terms of transitioning into a more size is the fact that like you say large cranium uh 96th percentile for aerial dual success rate um six foot five i mean yeah that's gonna be good Uh, and also (laughs) already this season he's already scored five goals for for leverkusen so i think if you if you think about bringing someone in who's going to be a weapon at both ends of the pitch for Moyes in terms of defending his box, like we say, winning all those aerial duels, throwing his body on the line, doing that last ditch defending. Um, but then also when we win a set piece, getting his ass up there and nodding it into the back of the net with, with a Ward Price delivery, it is pretty exciting. And still, I think another reason and that I'd kind of gone off the boil with Tar is that I just assumed that he was older than he is uh, because he's been around for so long, because I've signed him on Football Manager every year for like the past seven years. Um, but he's actually only 27, which you think for a centre-back is is really not bad, like that you've probably got another five years of him at the top of his game, um, obviously assuming that he doesn't have any horrendous injuries. I think the only red flag, I guess, for me with Tar is the lack of pace. Um, he is a big boy, as we've said, um, but he doesn't have that recovery pace. And if we've highlighted this as an issue with Zuma, um, I think it's it's only fair to mention that I'm, I wouldn't be expecting him to come in and sort of fix that issue in terms of being able to cover all that ground. I think you'd be relying a lot on either his, the, right side, the right-sided fullback or a GERD if he was next to him to do the recovering for, for him. But what I will say is that his positional awareness... Um, at least on his recent form compared to Zuma's recent form is, is, is much improved. So I would expect him to get caught out uh, far less frequently than Zuma in, in these games, like we say against uh, sort of counter-attacking sides where we're looking to control possession. Um, so yeah, I, I would be in favor of Tar. I think it would just be about sort of getting that right balance in terms of the center back partnership. Um, and again, we should flag that Xabi Alonso has largely been playing a three center back system. Tar has, has been in the centre of it. So what we said about Bio in terms of transitioning from a central centre-back role to a right-sided centre-back role applies here as well. I don't think there would be too much um, concern in that respect. Yeah, it's interesting to steal another thing that you said from the um, from the TIFO football podcast. I think you said some would say never to go full Moyes, but the way forward for West Ham in their recruitment is to go full Moyes. And Jonathan Tarr is about as full Moyes as I can imagine for a centre-back. Yeah. So... In, in some senses, like you said, I think it's 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 a good idea for us to prioritise a a a box dominance machine 
um, in the back line, given what's happened to Zuma's form this season, because he's such a key piece. He was always such a key piece at West Ham when he was performing at his best level. And if that is starting to, to disappear, you need someone who's going to be able to, to bring the same qualities to the same level as, as Zuma was able to produce before. Obviously, you, you want recovery pace. Obviously, you want someone who's a little bit more nimble, a little bit more quality on the ball, maybe. Than, than you than you get with someone like Jonathan Tarr or or, or potentially what you get with Zuma at the moment or, or Zuma as he has been so far in his West Ham career. But that's kind of, it's a dream, isn't it? To, to get that kind of player who's got the, the aerial dominance, the effectiveness in both boxes and the progressive quality, it's really rare. And that's the third pick, isn't it? It's Max Kilman because he's got all of that. Um, he's really good on the ball. He's really good in the air. And I can see exactly why we were interested in spending a lot of money on him because it makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think the one thing I will say with Kilman is that it, it probably would require... A, you're making the assumption, if you buy Kilman, that a Gerd then drops to the bench and Mavropanos presumably becomes your starting right-sided centre-back because uh, in the same way that Zuma and Agurd has been a good balance because Agurd is the progressive one with the recovery base that can uh, that can help you build out from the back um, and Zuma is the sort of box-dominant, wins-everything-in-the-air centre-back, I think you'd kind of flip that round and you'd put most of the progressive onus on Mavropanos in terms of the way that he carries into the final third and helps disrupt a press if we can't play around it. Um, but that said, Kilman is still very progressive from the back. He's very confident on the ball. I think everyone knows everyone knows by now, but the constant talk about, oh, well, he started out in futsal, so he's like really good with the ball at his feet, et cetera, et cetera. But still, I, I, I still consider him, and like we've seen at Wolves, there's there's no coincidence that um, having him and Dawson in the back line has seen them become arguably the most uh, dominant box defending side um, this season. So I think, yeah, it, it would, it, I mean, the... No, the, the thought of a Kilman Mavropanos centre back partnership is pretty exciting. The thought of a Kilman Zuma partnership in terms of box defending, assuming Zuma uh, returns to his best form, if if we're going to play Kilman at left centre back, is is also crazy. Um, but yeah, I think Kilman would be a really interesting one. It, it's just whether you think it's it's how you manage that because presumably a Gerd is not going to be happy happy if you drop him to the bench and then you're probably going to have to get rid of a guard and then you're probably going to have to bring in another center back to balance out the squad and then it means that there's you're making even more work for yourself I think in my head which is why I'd be looking at someone who can probably come in on that right hand side and eventually overtake Zuma and you move Zuma on and you have Mavro and Zuma and by the time Zuma's gone you then bring in the left sided center back you're kind of delaying the whole process rather than just bringing it all together at once and sort of having to patch up a, an entire defence in one summer. I mean, it's worth saying at this point, and I hadn't considered this because he is left-footed, but he plays on the right for Wolves. He does play on the right of that back three. For Wolves, it's 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 Kilman on the right, Dawson in the middle, and Totti Gomez on the left. So I suppose he could just play on the right if that's what he's always been doing uh, at Wolves. And also... Like you said, if it did become Kilman and Mavropanos, then that is the most dribbly centre-back combo imagined. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing with, with that is, uh, yeah, I think I just assume Kilman on the left just in terms of my preference for a right foot and a left foot uh, on, on their preferred sides in terms of what that offers you in build-up shape, in terms of passing angles. I think if you partner a left footer with a left footer, you, you basically cut out half of the passing angles and it massively affects your build-up. Uh, or if you play a left footer on the right with a right footer on the left or vice versa, it just the whole build-up gets kind of complex. And I think one thing that West Ham probably don't need to do is make their build-up any more complicated than it already is because we already kind of struggle in doing that. So, um, yeah, I, if we were going to bring Kilman, I'd be asking him to play on the left, I think, alongside Mavro. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I suppose you could flip it on its head and say that's a positive thing because you're bringing in the centre-back who could play on both sides, which is something that we maybe need because when we've seen Zuma play as a left centre-back against his will because of injuries, he's really struggled. So um, having someone with that positional versatility would be, yeah, a good bonus. Um, there are a few younger shouts that I was going to chuck in. I'm not going to go into huge amounts of depth on them, um, but if people want to go away and have a look, um, then I would recommend you go and take a look at uh, Samson Beidou, who's playing at uh, RB Salzburg, um, 100th percentile for defensive dual success this 
season and 96th for shot block, shots blocked per 90, um, which is in a Salzburg side, which is kind of crazy considering they don't do much last-ditch defending in that league. Um, so he's someone that I've kind of earmarked. 19-year-old, um, good recovery pace, nice and progressive. Obviously, Salzburg have a good track track record of developing super exciting young players so he's definitely someone I'd be keeping an eye on not someone I think would come in straight away and compete but I think if we want someone to come in and sort of wait a little bit for Zuma's legs to really give way and then take over or play a lot behind Mavropanos and develop then that could work in terms of a timeline um and then on the flip on the other side a left footed option from the same side um RB Salzburg is Strahinja Pavlovic um Serbian international Six foot four left sided centre back, incredibly progressive, uh, incredibly front footed defender. Um, yeah, I think another one who I think is destined to go on uh, and really kick on when he gets that move out of Salzburg. And one final one that I would chuck in as a as a real rogue shout is a is a young Greek centre back called Konstantinos Kuliriakis. And I think if we can get Mavro on the blower and uh, and do a little bit of scouting and a little bit of agent work for us, he could be another exciting young left-sided centre-back who is progressive. And I think we all know that progressive left-footed centre-backs are kind of like gold dust in this market. Yeah, I'm just, the only one of those I know anything about is Strahinja Pavlovic. And all I can think about him is, doesn't that geezer love a slide tackle? I've seen him play for Serbia. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Sports Social Podcast Network.